So last time we talked about the Children of Harem, so one of Tolkien's, uh, I guess, lesser-known works in some respects, although, you know, probably still fairly popular, and uh, sort of a, you know, a tragic work, pretty intense. Um, and as I said then, I, am, I do want to come back to that work, but, but uh, you know, in this episode I wanted to start, well, we wanted to start with... Um, something a little more familiar. So we're going to talk about The Hobbit, um, obviously Tolkien's first published, major published work, and uh, published 1937, so during his lifetime, and a precursor to The Lord of the Rings and everything that would uh, come after. So we're going to just talk about some of the uh, themes and ideas and you know characters in The Hobbit and See, see what we sort of both think about the, about them, and perhaps also what it means for the wider, uh, the wider sort of Tolkien uh, legendarium, as they call it. Um, but before we get to that, just a few things. So, um, hopefully, by now, for those who are listening, you might have listened to Gergai Naj um, and my podcast with him, Hungarian Tolkien scholar. Um, that was a brilliant podcast. Um, I'm still I'm still waiting to upload my podcast with um, Vladimir Berliak, who's Croatian. Sorry, yes, Croatian. I keep <laughs> I keep getting his nationality wrong. Sorry, <laughs> um, he's Croatian. Um, another talking scholar. So we've had a couple of Eastern European scholars, which is cool, um, I think. And um, uh, so I'm just waiting to upload that soon, hopefully as well. And we talk about some similar things like. Uh, metafiction and and things like that so uh, that was also a great a great conversation and i've got a couple uh couple of podcasts coming up in uh april and may so um first so first of all uh well in in may i'll have um dern wall dawn sorry (laughs) walls thermo who has written a very interesting paper about historical bias in the Silmarillion. So if we treat the Silmarillion as a kind of history, which it sort of presents itself as, uh, what sort of biases do we see? And Dawn's paper uh, does a wonderful job of sort of um, making that very clear and uh, showing just how kind of biased in some ways it really is if we read it as a historical um, document. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, conversation coming up in May. Um the other uh, the other uh, conversation that I will have uh, in in April, second half of April, so so the next the next one uh, will be with the author of a new book that's called Tolkien's Modern Reading: uh, Middle Earth Beyond the Middle Ages by Holly Ordway. So I'll be talking to Holly, who's a wonderful scholar, um, about the book and some of the themes in the book, um, and I have. Yet to fully read, uh, to finish the book, but so far I'm extremely impressed. I think it's something of a game changer for Tolkien scholarship and really contextualizes um, some of Tolkien's, uh, well, his life, but also obviously his his work as well. So that's going to be uh, wonderful. And just as a as a bit of a uh, as a bit of a foreshadowing for that conversation, I'm really impressed by her uh, takedown of Humphrey Carpenter, who is Tolkien's biographer, and um, are the, so far the only author, authorized biographer. And um, I've never really liked 
like the Carpenter biography, but uh, now we have some very solid reasons for why we should basically toss it away and wait for better biographies to come along. Um, but what I'm also impressed by is the extent to which uh, Holly shows that that one biography has really just shaped um, popular perception of Tolkien. People just, like Chinese whispers, keep um, keep repeating ideas and, and notions, um, even in scholarship. And what I hope, if nothing else, comes out of this book is that um, scholars throw that away uh, for good. So we will be talking about that. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. So, so we have Holly in, in April and then Dawn in May. So both wonderful scholars. And Dawn is also, I should say, a fan fiction writer. I think that's her primary sort of um, Tolkien function. Um, and uh, fan fiction is not something I've sort of been into very much. Um, it's just not my, uh, not my scene. But, um, so we, we might touch on that. But for the most part, we'll be talking about uh, Tolkien's work and um, and the Silverillion, so that will be interesting. So I think that's all the news um, that I have. Uh, there's still no news about the Amazon show, really, just uh, filming in New Zealand, and um, the One Ring.net continues to um, make a fool of itself on Twitter. Um, but apart from that, you know, uh, we're still waiting for some for some news. So as soon as that happens, we'll... Well, as soon as there is some news, I'm sure we'll discuss it here. Um, so that's all from me. What's been happening with you, Shrita? How are you? How have you been going? Yeah, oh, I've been I've been well. Um, it, it, it's it's really interesting that you that you say that about um, the, the token <laughs> yeah. biography because it, it's such a common thing with 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 old, you know, really yeah. quite old figures. You know, like I think of. Um, uh, um, a biography of, of Leonardo da Vinci by I think his name is v- Vasari. Okay. Yeah, Vasari, yeah. I don't know how you say it, um, but it, it's full of exaggerations mm. and um, and complications. Um, and I think a lot of what we what we know about Leonardo da Vinci is yeah. is colored by that. And um, and it's and and there's a similar one for for Johann Sebastian Bach. And, and it's always a shame when I when I read about these and I read these sort of more factual versions of mm. these biographies because, um, you know, these people are so fascinating that they don't need embellished biographies or they mm. don't need, um, you know, um, they don't need any sort of touched yeah. up biographies. You know, they, their life is quite fascinating yeah. as it is. So it's, it's always quite interesting when I read, yeah. when I read stuff like that. So it's interesting that even Tolkien is a victim of, of this kind of um, sort yeah, of mythologization. Yeah. I guess that happens to all great, Somewhat ironically, all great people. Perhaps. Since he, yeah, yeah, he <laughs> exactly. really had it coming. <laughs> um, but I think I think what Holly really shows is that um, you know, especially because this, this myth that Tolkien read nothing past Chaucer and hated Shakespeare, etc. All of that really comes from uh, Carpenter's books, um, his biography of Tolkien, his sort of book about the Inklings, and then also his selection of the letters. Tolkien's letters, uh, of which there are many more than those published currently. And, um, you know, he simply states outright in that book that Tolkien, you know, didn't care for modern literature. And this book um, shows that to be, I'd say, fairly definitively not true. So um, so I think we have to, hmm. you know, we have to toss that that uh, that biography out. He needs a new authorised biography um, and a new, also a new multi-volume uh, publication of the letters, which 
hopefully will happen at some stage. Um, and and would be you know would be really useful to scholarship and everything else. So, indeed, yeah. indeed, indeed. So, um, yeah. So I, I don't know what what have you been reading apart from The Hobbit, which we're about to talk about. <laughs> it's always nice to get a sense of what else people are interested in. Yeah, um, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I, I've been reading. Um, a book called mm-hmm. the house of music, which is, which is a, a series of essays and criticism by, um, a pianist and, and musical critic, um, called, mm-hmm. uh, Samuel Lipman. And, and it's really about, um, about music making in, in the, in the 20th century, which is, which is unique in, in its, um, in the way that it has been, um, dominated by the institutions you know where where um previously music has not been um pre- is is not been predominant pre- predominantly um made by you know musical institutions so obviously there were courts and um and churches but but there weren't sort of um straight up mm-hmm. musical institutions so um the effect of that and commerce on on the music making of of the of the sort of industry and the people within the industry is the is the fodder for for um for Samuel Lipman and I think that's it's quite interesting. Um, besides that, I've been reading I've been reading um, um, actually a, a a biography of Leonardo, of <laughs> right. Leonardo da Vinci, um, a, a modern one by 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 mm. Walter Isaacson, um, who has who has also done biographies oh. of Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein wow. and some other people, and um, it's it's been really interesting to mm. to read. Um, so so that's been my nonfiction. Um, fair and my fiction has been has been the Hobbit for the last couple of yeah, weeks. Lovely. Um, so lovely. so who we are. What well, about you? I've been reading, uh, well, apart from the Hobbit, uh, a book by archaeologist called Greg Wolf, who um, has written a book about uh, ancient cities and the development of urbanism in the ancient world, which is kind of my um, other, obviously, scholarly slash PhD interest <laughs> um so uh, he discusses um, urbanism from the earliest cities of mesopotamia up to the roman period um, and it's called um the life and death of ancient cities so for anyone interested in that topic that's a pretty good book I, I finished it yesterday and so now i'm going to move on to uh as i mentioned before uh, holly ordway's book tolkien's modern reading preparation for that podcast um so That'll be my nonfiction for the next while. And then I've got a pile of books about uh, the Roman army and yeah, various other topics that are more closely related to my um, my scholarly work at, at university. So at, um, at my my job, as it were, so, <laughs> or at least one of them. So, um, yeah, plenty to... Plenty of reading to come, <laughs> which is always the case. Yes. <laughs> every every time I, I every time I think that I'm fairly literate for for a couple of seconds, you know, if, if I ever talk to an academic, I realize, you know, I'm just a dude who plays music. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, don't, no. I, I don't actually I don't actually spend the like you know it's it's a whole different thing to, for for your actual you know job to be 
you know, reading several, um, you know, very, very um, mm-hmm. sort of dense. Sound honestly, I've been taking, um, uh, honestly, I've been taking a bit of a break recently. As I've said, I, I'm still very slowly rereading Lord of the Rings, which I know sounds, you know, like I don't do that all the time. It's just um, I felt like doing it this year. So I'm still very slowly reading that, um, taking my time with it, and it's a nice uh, experience. Probably be the last read I do for, you know, a while. Um as in a, you know, the last full reread mm. because I have so many other books to, to go and uh, what, what novels have I got coming up? I was going to try William Faulkner. I don't know if you've read him, but I've never read William Faulkner, so I'm going to give uh, Oh, interesting. I'll, I'll be curious yeah. what you think. Um, he's, yes, he's quintessentially yes, American, yes. obviously. <laughs> and uh, I have Herman Hess as well, so some canonical oh interesting um, which which, which has I don't know if you've read. have you read that one? Oh, nice nice yeah i have right. a very long time ago yeah Looked like a nice comparatively short um, read so <laughs> yeah awesome. yeah he, he has a whole series of novels i think mm. that have to sort of do yes. with with the east yeah. and, and his yeah, his sure. yeah so his interest in that but so yeah i'll be, I'll be getting on to a few other novels and I think I've said before that I, a subset of my literary interest is in American fiction, so it's kind of terrible that I've not yet read any William Faulkner, so I better, I better get on that. Um, and uh, yeah, I've kind of moved recently to read, reread <laughs> Cormac McCarthy, but I don't know which one, so maybe, uh, yeah. Oh boy. Nice. <laughs> maybe All the Pretty Horses or something. I don't think I've read that one, so that's like a trilogy, I think. <laughs> nice, nice. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's, I think it's called the Blood Meridian trilogy. Oh, okay. Because I know that's one of his novels, Blood My, Meridian. Yeah, but maybe that's it's an old trilogy. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it is okay. one of his novels, yeah. and I think the yeah, trilogy yeah. is named after that novel. But it yeah. includes that and uh, all the pretty horses, well, maybe, and maybe one more. I, think I don't, I don't exactly remember. I did read Blood Meridian. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but um, but but you're going to need to get a a um a real. Uh, Kentucky yeah, Bourbon, yeah. To, to to read that with it, you know, th- yeah, those are yeah, inseparable. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to do that. Um, Jack Daniels, that's a bourbon, right? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's that's also that's also yeah. a quite solid. Okay, good, uh, good brand. choice. I mean, that's the only one yeah. I know, but I'm sure they put other ones. I'm not a huge whiskey or bourbon person, but yeah, if I read those, I'll have to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to. It's just it's part of the package, you know. You, you can't understand it without. <laughs> so that's that's my reading. Um, yeah, apart from um, apart from some Tolkien, which I'm finishing, uh, well, finishing up sort of. I'm still in the Two Towers, actually. So taking it slow, but it's good. Anyway, uh, so, yeah. So today we're nice. looking at the Hobbit. Um, so I guess to start off with, I'll, I'll give a brief synopsis of the plot. I mean, I think everyone listening to this will probably know, but so it obviously it, it obviously uh, concerns a, a hobbit, and we'll get to sort of hobbits, but essentially um, kind of quasi-modern slash quasi-childlike creatures um, who live in a kind of um, Victorian slash Edwardian England um, look alike except they live in holes. Um, <laughs> very nicely pointed holes uh, in the high, sides of hills, of course. And, um, and of course, we meet the dwarves, um, 
which there are, what are the 13, right? Uh, and of course we meet Gandalf the wizard. And um, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's 14 right. plus Gandalf, yes, yes, yes. which means it's 13 yes, yes, plus yes. Bilbo plus Gandalf, and right? And then we go on an adventure yeah. and it's, it's quite an episodic novel, obviously. It, um, it's sort of, just as in the Lord of the Rings, we follow a kind of cartographic plot. Um, and of course we have the map at the end of the book which you can follow. And um, we meet various fairy tale characters or, you know, folklore characters, you might want to say. We have beyond the sort of skin changer. We have um, evil spiders. We have, of course, the wood elves. Um, and uh, finally, of course, we get to the, the mountain uh, and the dwarves. The whole point of the quest, of course, is that the dwarves want to... Um, want to uh, re-acquaint themselves, as, as it were, with their treasure, which, of course, is in the mountain guarded by the dragon who took it originally. So uh, they eventually arrive. They seem to have no plan for actually getting any of the treasure back, um, and they don't seem particularly capable of killing the dragon. But, um, but eventually um, Bilbo manages to um, to get into the mountain, into the uh the horde, as it were, um, and uh, has a conversation with the dragon, a couple of conversations with Smell, the dragon, of course. And um, eventually the interests of several other parties um, are aroused, so the, the wood elves and then also the, the men of the lake who are sort of a, live in a sort of a trading city which which is located on the on a, on a lake um, out, in the, out on, on wooden piles, which is quite interesting me find it find that interesting and um and so eventually we have a confrontation uh at the mountain um that is after the dragon is finally killed by a sort of a traditional uh, kind of hero figure right bard bowman um as he attacks lake town and uh so we have that threat out of the way and then the sort of politics begins as i said and we have there's several interested parties that come to the mountain and it seems like everyone's going to go to war. There'll be a battle. And then of course we see the goblins arrive. Everyone unites and defeats the goblins. Um, and the dwarves sort of learn the lesson that, um, the greed is not good. Um, you know, as, as a, what's the character from wall street? Um, <laughs> he says greed is good. Um, I can't remember his name. Oh, I don't okay, know who you're yeah. talking about. No, that, that, that movie from the 80s or 90s or whatever. But anyway. <laughs> oh, uh, are you talking about Glengarry uh, Glen Ross? No, I don't think so. But uh, I know. anyway, so that there's, there there are some lessons learned. And then um, Bilbo goes home and, um, you know, he is enriched or not, perhaps, probably, and learns, learns some lessons. And, <laughs> Um, that's that's just a, a kind of a, a bare plot, but of course we have we have a sort of um, I guess a confrontation between a kind of modern world and a kind of ancient heroic world, um, which has long been commented on by Tolkien scholars, and um, we see the the same theme developed in the Lord of the Rings, but here it's really given a kind of very distilled form, I guess. So um, we're going to talk about some of those ideas. And, yeah, I don't know, did you have anything else to say by way of the, the synopsis or the summary or anything? 
Um, no, I think that was a pretty good synopsis. Um, just to to sort of riff on what you said at the very end there, I, th- I think it's it's really interesting how the the Hobbit really seems to be. Um, it it really does seem to be a a a really concentrated version of of the Lord of the Rings. It it, it plays on many of the same themes and and a lot of the same plot elements are, yes, are had. Yeah. But it is it is it is highly concentrated uh, yeah. and um and sort of more more digestible because it is I think it is meant to be more for for children than, yeah, than the Lord of the Rings is. Um and and it's interesting. It, it it just seems to be like um this this has to be the place that anyone has to yeah, start yeah. if they want to if they want to get into to to Tolkien and the Middle Earth stuff because it's just you know and you know 300 pages or so i forget exactly what the number is um it seems like he touches on pretty much all of the major themes that he touches on 76 pages in my edition so yeah mine's the there you go. Collins, so i don't know if Putin mifflin does a different kind of setup but if that's what you have but um <laughs> i'm looking right now We get the we get the British publishing in Australia. Two seventy six, two seventy six for me too. But um, there you go. Yeah. So no, and I think that brings up a good point. I mean, it's good to note that, of course, this wasn't the first thing we read about Middle Earth at all. Uh, Middle Earth, as it were, the world that would become Middle Earth is already quite old. At this stage is already twenty years old. It's already well developed. He's already written the long uh, Baron and Luthien poem. Um, the Turin poem. Uh, he's already written uh, versions of the Silmarillion. Um, a lot of stuff which um, we think of as sort of uh, first age material now is already written. So The Hobbit is, in a sense, a late invention. It's a, it comes uh, in the middle of his writing career. Um, he hasn't published anything yet, I mean, of note. I mean, he's published a few poems in Oxford magazines and things, but um, he certainly hasn't published his uh, Silmarillion, um, and so this is yeah, this this is the first thing that he actually gets published that's of, of real note. And as I say, it comes really in the middle of his writing career, and I think that shows. I mean, I think we already see here someone who is um, developing their um, their, their sort of skills of you know narrative narrative narrativity, I guess, just. Just the sentence level writing, um, dialogue, things like that, um, which we see developed in Lord of the Rings, and that's really because this is not the first thing he writes. He's already, you know, he's already developed. Um, he's already been developing a lot of that um, already in in his other his other stuff. So I think that that gives it a certain flavor but but i think you're right though that for those reading talking now it's, it's best to begin here not with the silmarillion <laughs> or something else yeah yeah um i, I think to, to go off of that real quick I, I think it's it's one of the it's one of the most skilled things that he's mm, written as well that's true. i think it stands up that way yeah yeah um yeah it's 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 to me it seems like one of the most um, most obviously literary. It has the most. It has one of the most um, sort of literary flares um, in, in several ways that I'm sure we'll get into. And um, it's 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 
it's extremely tightly written yeah, and yeah. I really appreciate that. And, um, it, you know, what, what, when I was rereading it, I was thinking of the, the quote that I, I think is often as so many quotes are misattributed <laughs> to Mark Twain, but I'm sure yeah. someone, so, someone else said it, or at least nobody did. But, um, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter <laughs> letter. And I think yeah. that really applies to, to the Hobbit. And, um, you know, this, this is not something that you mm-hmm. could write as your first entry into Middle mm-hmm. Earth. It has to be mm-hmm. something um, that once you've already gotten quite a grasp mm-hmm. of what you want to be getting at in this universe, in this, in this sort of mythology, um, you, have to, you have to be sort of quite hip to it already and probably have written several things, uh, um, you know, on it, in it, whatever. Um, and then you can write something that's actually as condensed mm-hmm. as this yeah. is. But... Um, yeah, it is interesting how that shakes out. That um, it, it really should be the first thing that you read, but it, it could not possibly have yeah, been the first really thing that first he wrote. Thing that he wrote, of course, was the Fall of Gondolin story, which um, uh, is now published in its own volume, um, with also later accretions to the story, and um, and uh, you know that that is a <laughs> that is a completely um, different. Uh, kind of story <laughs> and literary, you know, we see the the influence of someone like William Morris, archaism, um, much more heavily there. I don't know. Have you ever picked that up? That particular? No, no, that's. I don't, I don't it, believe it's I not have. that I would have expected okay. you to. It's just a. It, it's a. It's a. Um, <laughs> it's it's a very archaizing. Uh, it's quite beautiful in some parts, I, I think, but it's it's very archaizing. It's obviously it's obviously the work of someone who is still heavily influenced by other writers and who hasn't yet developed his own uh, his own style and perhaps the ability to um, you know distinguish features of other other people's writing that he wants to incorporate you know in, into a style of, of his own. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's it's great now to have that mm. published in a in a more accessible form because it was published in the History of Blood series, which which of course, unless you're a, a huge nerd, no, nobody really uh, reads. So, um, but but I think it, it's clear as to why this The Hobbit that is should should be the first place to go instead of literally the first piece of writing he he wrote, which is just extremely different and much less accessible. Um, probably much less accessible to people in the Edwardian period, let alone in the 21st century. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So indeed, having those two pieces now, I think it, it really gives a sense of, um, you know, a sense of, of why The Hobbit is such an important piece, at least for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, w- I, w- I would say yeah. that. Uh, so, um, so yeah. So, I, so sorry. Go, go ahead. Um, where, where do you want? Yeah, to Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I'm, whoops, I'm very happy to start talking about, I guess, some of the um, the plot, characters, themes of the, of the book. I think. I mean, um, starts with Bilbo, of course. Starts with hobbits, um, and of course, hobbits is part of the invention of hobbits. I suppose is is a way into both Tolkien and us to this world that is um, far less jarring to start with than the heroic world of, say, the fall of Gondolin, which involves elves and um, and, and goblins and, and sort of mechanical dragons. But uh, 
really has no other, otherwise has no has no as it were readily context. Um, it's just this just this kind of story that that you're thrust into and, and you start there. Here, though, we begin um, with with the modern period. Really, we, we begin in a sort of a um, I don't know a, a quasi as I said, quasi-Edwardian kind of world. Um, would you agree with that? Does it, does it come across as sort of um, far more, I guess, uh, I don't know, easier to digest perhaps is a good way to put it um, than, say, the Silmarillion <laughs> or, you know, the Children of Hurin, which we – I mean, you, you talked last week about uh, <laughs> the Children of Hurin really begins like a, um, a Norse saga. It just lists um, – uh, this person married this person at this feast and I can't, you know, whatever, however it begins, but it's, it's certainly not, there was a, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit and, and it was a cozy place sort of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I would agree. It's, it's so much, it's so much more familiar and, and this is as good a place as any to, to mention that. Um, I think last time I was, I was mentioning that the, the children of Hurin, it, it might be better to actually read, Actually, really read yes. um, read the the the, the novel mm. because because the audiobook was just sometimes with the names and the places really hard to so, track yeah. what was going on. Um, th- th- this is as good a place as any to to shout out the um, the audiobook read by Andy Circus, <laughs> yes, which did. I think was just wonderful, and it, it was one of the best yeah. audiobooks. Yeah. Oh, so I've you ever did heard. you did listen to that? That's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I did a I did a mm. hybrid mm. combo, which is oh, the first great. time I've yeah. ever done that uh, of listening yeah. and and reading at the same time. I but I, I, I did um, it was so fun. I loved hearing uh, audio book recently as well, and um, yeah, it is brilliant. It's it's the best if you want to read the Hobbit, and you know, um, I, I think you can't you can't go better than than listening to that. It's wonderful, <laughs> and um, maybe sort of yeah. fall in love with the story again. You know. Um, after, especially after the Hobbit movies, which perhaps we can come to later. But uh, uh, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> they they sound me. Um, but uh, yeah, but so yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you know one of the one of the really r- remarkable aspects of the Hobbit is, is that um, is that the 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 style of the prose really is is mm. reflective of. Of of whatever um, token wants to 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 say at, at you know at, at any given moment, um, and and that that it's not as easy as it sounds when, when you're writing when you're writing narrative fiction. Um, that that's um, it's quite tough to sort of change your tone of voice like that. And um, and and he starts with with a with a tone that that is that is almost. It has nothing to do with the tone mm. of the Silmarillion, or maybe even the tone of the of the mm. Lord of the Rings. Um, you're going to have to tell me more than that, since you're in the middle of a, of a reading of it. <laughs> but um, but it, it really it really seems like it 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 begins with with a with a tone that is um, like it's 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 so in our world. It feels very modern, even even today in in 2021, and. Um, and it, it feels so familiar in, in its in its um, use of in its liberal use of colloquialism and um, and and um, even sarcasm and irony yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, 
and and like idiomatic prose and you know it 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 really for the first several chapters it it really reminds me of um of something like of something like um um Alice's Adventures in Wonderland or something like that like it, it really reads like like Lewis Carroll uh, in some ways it's it's not exa- it's not at all what you would but you know if you if you had read nothing but um but the other parts of Tolkien's Legendarium um it, it reads nothing like that at all it's it really reads like like modern you know you know really actually quite comic like mm-hmm. modern comic yeah. Um, yeah I think Lewis Carroll is a good a good um a nice, uh, you know, a nice uh, similarity or um, to bring up. I can't find my words today. Sorry, <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think again, Holly Ordway, who's written this book, I think makes a point about that as well. That Lewis Carroll was um, actually something Tolkien quite liked. So I have no doubt. That, yeah. Mm, oh really? That he liked the elves. Uh, what well, did she say? Not exactly to that bit of the book yet, but <laughs> but uh, I think I think your intuition that that might have well that perhaps that was an influence is, is probably true. Um, so yeah, once once I continue reading, I'll I'll, um, I'll let you know <laughs> what what she sort of says in more detail. But um, yeah, yeah, uh, that's something I can I can ask in our interview. But um, that, that's coming up. But uh, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty accurate intuition because. It's always seemed to me that the Hobbit uh, is nothing like medieval literature. It, it really is about, um, you know, it's about the modern, or at least the Edwardian, coming to contact with, as I said, that heroic world, which is to some to some extent embodied in the dwarves here, and in a different way, perhaps also the elves, and obviously the uh, obviously also the the lake men of Esgaroth, but. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that tone. And, uh, I mean, it's sort of also perhaps the first chapter of The Lord of the Rings, you get something like that, but it becomes something quite different, I think, um, earlier on. It, it certainly loses a lot of that comic aspect that it has here um, throughout The Hobbit, at least yeah, even the final chapters don't entirely lose that, whereas The Lord of the Rings is excessively mm. serious, I think, <laughs> perhaps too much sometimes. And, um and as you said, the Silmarillion is yeah. a different beast <laughs> entirely. So, yeah, I, I really think that that's why. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say this um, on the on the reading token podcast, where I'm sure people <laughs> are listening to this who, who are very educated about token in a way that I couldn't possibly hope to be. <laughs> but, um, but. I I really think the Hobbit might might be might be for me Tolkien's magnum oh, opus oh. because um, it seems to it seems to yeah am I am I going to get murdered on this? On no, the well, show I'm interested now? to hear what you have to say. But then then you're going to get murdered once yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just think I mean it it contains like, like we we've mentioned before it it contains a little bit of mm-hmm. of everything that I think um the the other sort of more more um heavy works contain I, I think that there's something contained within this um that you can really it, that you can really appreciate more mm-hmm. if you know you know a little bit more about the about the token That's true that's true um, yeah legendarium so it's it's all here, I think. I mean, like not a lot is missing yeah. for me, at least, you know, to my amateur years. And yet, um, you know, th- this is this to me um, 
has has the great the great mark of of like of British irony and and the and the ironic voice, um, which is you know if I were to level a criticism against the rest of Token, um, that would be it. I think I think um, irony is not is not immensely <laughs> present. Whereas I think um, the Hobbit is is an mm. extremely ironic novel, and Comically and um, yeah. you know this might just be my my own yeah There's yeah irony yeah in, in other areas, um, but perhaps not that exact flavor of it as you sure. perhaps like or yeah yeah as is in the Hobbit exactly yeah yeah I should say yeah I think I, I mean think the two of is ironic, um, ironic that, in several respects. <laughs> yes, yeah. the darkest, yeah. most tragical but ways, not, yeah. not in that comic way. So no, yeah. that that <laughs> yeah, that that that's a good clarification. Um, in terms of comic irony, um, and and I, you know, that that just is my own mm. preference. Like, for example, I, I I quite I quite prefer something like um, James Joyce's Ulysses to to something like um, F. Scott's F. Scott Fitzgerald's um, mm. *The Great Gatsby*, even though I can't, I can't make a case that that one is a better novel than the mm. other. But um, *Ulysses* is a is a comic novel, while *The Great Gatsby* is a tragic novel, and um, I, I really have a soft spot <laughs> for 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 comedy, which I which I feel like is a um, more well, on comes a better way genre. to characterize this um, book than as a children's book per se, because perhaps what people are uh, sort of detecting in it is that kind of lighter. It's certainly accessible to children, obviously, but um, perhaps um, when you read this as an adult, its qualities as a comic and ironic book uh, perhaps come to the fore more, obviously. And I think I agree with that, yeah. Um, hmm. I think I, I still think that The Lord of the Rings is probably ultimately a greater artistic achievement, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, Tolkien is can be comic when he wants to, and he's, he's often very comic in, in his other non-middle-earth stories like Farmer Giles of Ham, even um, Smith of Wood Major, even even um, even the Leaf by Niggle, the sort of short story, which is very moving but also quite comic. Hmm. And we'll, we'll probably read those at some stage. Even some of his silly rhymes like um, The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, quite funny. But um, as you say, The Lord of the Rings doesn't have a lot of that. That's true. Um, and it's obviously by design because he's complete, he's, he's perfectly capable of writing uh, comic, comic, a comic novel like this or um, comic poetry or, you know, something, um, something like that, a short story, right. as I said. But um, after The Hobbit, that seems to have been relegated to his non-Middle-earth kind of short stories, as I said. Um, so... You know, maybe, maybe that's a yeah. Maybe that's ultimately a, a loss for us. But <laughs> but uh, but I think I agree with you. I, I think it just depends yeah, on your own temperament. My temperament you know? is very sort of pessimistic and and uh, kind of tragic <laughs> in a way. So maybe that's why I, that's why I, my favorite <laughs> of his novels is The Children of Heron, Actually, so um, oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that really sums yeah, up the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings is somewhere in the middle, I think. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that, of course, I still I, I do appreciate that side of the Hobbit, which you mentioned. Yeah. I, I think it it gives um it it gives a little bit of an ironic mm-hmm. distance, actually. Like even with something like the the the, the Children of Hurin, I don't think. Um, that there's much of an ironic distance between no. between 
um, the 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 actual tale and the and the narrator, you know. Well, yeah. Um, e- even if there's irony present, whereas in the Hobbit, um, there there actually is. He he will he literally turn to turn to the reader and 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 give you a wink and a nudge and say, you know, this is nothing like what you or your eye would have seen here. Um, I, I I can I can't actually quote. I can't actually quote moments of it for you, but um, but you know that there are several moments it seems throughout the novel where they say oh, this is nothing like where the narrator says this is nothing like what you or I would oh, expect. Yes, yes. But, um, yeah. Well, no, of course. But, I mean, as I said, is, yeah. his, his Silmarillion writings are, are composed as though written um, by a close contemporary of the events that are being described. This is not. It's described. It's it's narrated as though by someone. Perhaps you know someone much closer to Bilbo in temperament than to anyone else in the story. Um, yeah, certainly. Um, and and I think it it allows for for moments of you know what what to me are mm-hmm. straight up genius. So you know, sure. I'm, I'm going to point to to what I, what I'm assuming everyone points to, which is the the um, well, the yeah, riddles yeah, in the yeah. dark. That's a great chapter. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful chapter, and and I think, um, it's a chapter that is that is um, it's like a a little fractal of the entire Middle Earth, um, writing, or, or um, it's it's a little microcosm of of everything that of everything else that he has done because, um. You know, Bilbo's here, and and he's he's talking, you know, with 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 Gollum, and and he's in the middle of, and and he's doing this this um this sort of like yes. riddle yeah. battle, and and um and Gollum's riddles and Bilbo's riddles mm-hmm. are very mm-hmm. different. Yeah, you know, um, Gollum's riddles are. They seem very old school. They seem very serious, yeah, yeah. and they're and and he passes them off. The the the, the narrator passes them off as um, as Gollum being you know trying to be sort of terrifying and uh, and scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, but nonetheless, they're, they're very old school. Yeah, they're yeah. very um, you know, yeah, like they're terrifying, one? scary. <laughs> All right, sure. So this please. is page seventy three. This thing, all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays kings, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. So that's that's probably my favourite, actually, of, of all the riddles. I, I love that. And, of course, um, the answer is time, <laughs> um, for those yeah. who, may not, who may not know. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, here, let, let me try to find one of sure, uh, Bilbo's. Yeah. What's, what's one of Bilbo's <laughs> good ones? Um, I, I quite like this one. Um, an eye in a blue face saw an eye in a green face. That eye is like to this eye, said the first eye, but in low place, not in high place. <laughs> Lovely. And it's the sun on the daisies, right? Is that that one? That's that one. Yeah. It's the sun on the Which daisies. Is not yeah, completely like intuitive, but <laughs> <laughs> it's 
<laughs> it is not at all intuitive. And and I would say none of Bilbo's really are. Um, maybe the one, um, a box without hinges, key or lid, yet yes, golden treasure nice inside his hit, yeah, yeah. which is, um, which is, yeah, X's, which is yes. eggs, as, as Gollum <laughs> says. Yeah. Um, is is fairly intuitive. But, but you know, it's, it's this moment where, where um, it seems like, it, it seems like a, a literary um, reenactment of this clash between, between um, like old world um, riddle and 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 prose and and, uh, and sentiment and, and and new world sort of wordplay and mm. and flair and and rhyme and and, and rhythm and pizzazz yeah, yeah. and I love that. Um, <laughs> you know it's it's it seems like a, a clash between between Gollum and Bilbo. Which is which is really um, to me. I read that as a clash between between the two sides of yeah. Tolkien's own temperament, between his his sort of really old school temperament that you see in 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 the Silmarillion and and in, like the Children <laughs> of Hurin and in parts in several parts of the Lord of the Rings versus what what you know I really read throughout the Hobbit, which is his sort of flash modern you know um, hip funny rhyming modern slang. Um, Sentiment, and um, you know, in the in this case, the the, the modern side wins out, but not necessarily um, due to fair play. <laughs> yeah, you, again, know? you know, ironically, <laughs> and yeah, and and that seems to me like a moment of of um, of sort of meta textual yeah. genius. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that I again, I'm not I'm not super versed in in yeah, all token, I, I but but it seems too. like yeah. Um, it seems like that's pretty I think rare. You're right, right to point to um, that chapter as a as a moment, uh, yeah, as a moment where that occurs. Um, yeah, this the yeah. I guess, I guess even you've you pointed to sort of linguistic qualities there, and I think you're right that perhaps certainly in the Silmarillion work, there's not a moment where linguistic styles come into contact. I mean, the Lord of the Rings is famous for several registers, um, I suppose, of, um, of both sort of archaic and also modern uh, sort of narration and, and sort of linguistic play um, to an extent. But, but here I think you see it, um, as you say, in a more distilled form than anywhere else. I think that's right, yeah. And perhaps that's what, mm. yeah, as you say, makes the Hobbit so distinct is on that linguistic level, which I hadn't thought about too much before because there's that thematic level with Bilbo and, and of course, the, the dwarves and the characters. And, uh, but on that linguistic level, it also works. And perhaps it's there where it most resembles Lewis Carroll or something um, like that. Although it's been a while since I've read yeah. any of his stuff. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, yeah, but there is that sort of play there. It, it kind of happens with with Smaug as well. With Smaug, um, I actually, I, I may as well, you know, I, I, this is a question that I've had forever, and I may as well yeah. ask you here because I'm on the Reading Token podcast. <laughs> um, so, h- how do you say? How do you say? Is uh, it Smaug? I, mean, I Smaug? would say Smaug. How do you say that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably Smaug. Uh, okay, but you know, it doesn't matter too much, I guess, if you say Smaug. But Smaug sounds a little okay. Fair enough. <laughs> sounds a little. Perhaps that's more comic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I I, I, want, I just want to reduce my chances of getting Alex murdered here. No, so. you're right. I think you've made a good case. But, um, I think you've made a good case for the for the hobby. Oh, fair enough. But 
I, I think it works with, with, um, with Smaug as well, where, where, um, he, he speaks, he speaks in, in mm-hmm. idiomatic prose. Um, and, and I think again, that that's a case where, um, he's really, he's really painted as a, um, uh, not, not, not a modernist, but, but like a, a sort of, um, someone who has a, like, like, uh, maybe an, an, an aristocrat, um, or, or something who, who really has a problem with, with, um, with, with the trappings of wealth. Definitely. (laughs) Um, and, and he speaks, he speaks in sort of Mm -hmm. modern lingo, you know? Um, so I, I really think, I really think like you're, it's, 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 um, it's a funny thing where, where the, the way that people speak really, really tells you about their, their character. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, in, in The Hobbit, um, I mean, th- that's certainly something that continues in The Lord of the Rings, but um, certainly in The Hobbit, it's, again, we, we see some of these some of these features very, very uh, clearly, yeah, and, and Smaug, of course, um, doesn't really belong to the heroic world. He belongs really to the aristocratic world, I think, um, which is a bit different um, and sort of carried carries implications yeah kind of of um well as small does of hoarding wealth as opposed to um sharing it about of course right which is what smout literally does <laughs> and then he speaks like one he speaks like a kind of perhaps a late 19th century aristocrat uh kind of dismissively of um mm-hmm. dismissively of the capitalists as it were um and the dwarves are kind of Almost painted in that way as well. There's a, there's an there's a um, there's a, there's an element to them where um, they are both uh, sort of in that heroic world, but also perhaps also in some ways in the modern world as well. They're, they're kind of um, they don't necessarily want to. Well, at least at first, they don't seem to necessarily want to just sit on the wealth, but also to uh, to use it to sort of enrich the area around the mountain. You know. Um, at least until Thorin, of course, um, uh, you know, at the end sort of gets the, the so-called dragon sickness, which, which is exactly that, that desire, that, that urge to sort of just sit on the, sit on the wealth and, and hoard it and um, keep it from others locked away. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I should really, I should really thank uh, Tom Shippey and Michael Drought for those, uh, for those insights, because really that, that's, something that they've um, talked about a lot in their uh, well in their books and, and um, podcasts and things so um, but I think there's a lot to that yeah I don't know I don't know how you how you take smog but smell <laughs> <laughs> well um, sorry who, 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 are the, who are the people that you mentioned oh, I just want to get a better uh, that's um, right, yeah, Tom Shippey, who's written a couple of books. He's sort of the, I guess, doyen of Tolkien studies. He's written a couple of books on, um, on Tolkien's fiction. And, um, and Michael Drought, who's a scholar um, in, in the US, uh, he's um, apparently writing a book about Tolkien, but he's mostly known at the moment for um, papers and talks and things that he's given and um I just I really like some of his stuff as well. So yeah, they're, they're just a couple of a couple of um, couple of scholars that I you know I've read. <laughs>
done, done some good work on the Hobbit. Interesting. Well, yeah. I will have to check them out. Um, I okay. unfortunately have I'll, not, I'll send not you read any. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, I, I've yet to read Token Scholarship mm-hmm. for real, and I, I look forward to, to actually engaging yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but my, my, my read on my sort of layman read on Smaug is, is that um, just right, right off the bat, um, I think and another thing that the token really distills in the Hobbit is is his um his connection right, to okay. Milton. Where 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 um Smaug's lair basically is is um is a direct um I'm not gonna say a direct quote, but it's it, it really reads a lot like the way that Milton describes um his his um yes, his pandemonium. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, which which comes at um, is it is it at the end of the 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 first act or something? Um, <laughs> not the act, whatever. Yeah. Um, the, the first part, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but um, it it just in in terms of it's sort of like you know it's 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 broad spaces and it's it's empty chambers and it's um, sort of the the um, the 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 rooms that are sort of um, you know, f- overfilled with yeah, with yeah. with wealth and um and um and and fire. Um, it, it seems it seems very very similar to 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 his his description of um of the um the capital of hell yeah. that, that 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 is pandemonium. Um, and I, I think I think you know the, this this relationship with Milton is one that that token token continues. Um, throughout his his work, and, and it's one that's that's really um, again to to use the same word yeah. distilled in the Hobbit, um, which again I find yeah. I find very interesting. Um, on on top of that, um, like we, we've already talked about how how Smaug has a very yeah. um, peculiar way of speaking that that is um, that is um, sort of idiomatic of of like the nineteenth century yeah, you were maybe, saying, yeah. Um, yeah. or like late nineteenth century, yeah, yeah. It, in, in any case, it's different from everyone else, and and that 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 in itself is 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 mm-hmm. um, fairly unique. Um, it, it sort of it it harkens back to to a to a um, a view of the dragon that I don't think is um, Edwardian at all. Like it, it must go back to I can't think of any other example, but but Beowulf, um, in which the the dragon is actually um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so in that sense, it, it again, it, it, it's, it's within Smaug is captured all the sort of all the um, influences and the the um, amb- ambivalences yeah. of, of Tolkien, um, where he 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 might I guess he speaks like an Edwardian character, but but actually, um, in terms of the the um, Edwardian depictions of, of dragons, Smaug doesn't factor into that at all. Um, he he he's really a. a um, a, a very old depiction of, of, of a sort of um, an anthropomorphized. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that the right sure, word? Yeah, yeah. Anthropomorphized, anthropomorphized <laughs> dragon, <laughs> whatever. You know, he's he's yeah. he's intelligent. He 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 speaks. He he speaks idiomatically. He, he's he's smart, um, and and he has vices. He's not he's not pure evil, yeah. sort of distilled yeah. into dragon form. He he's 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 almost yeah. a, a oh, real yeah. character. Absolutely. 
you know, he, he's like a real yeah. human almost. He just happens to be a dragon. the case. Yeah, he's a character. Um, and a lot of, I mean, others of Tolkien's dragons are. I mean, I think Glaurung in The Children of Huron is, I don't know if you would agree with that. We don't really, we didn't really talk about Glaurung, but uh, he, can, he he's quite sarcastic as well in, in part. <laughs> um, yeah. Has, has some of that small Yeah, no, that's DNA. true. Smaug, um, I say small. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I think... Uh, <laughs> That's a good place to have a break, and uh, we'll come back in just a sec. Yeah. All right, we are back after some pizza. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I think we were sort of well. Honestly, I can't remember what we were talking about, <laughs> about but um, I think we were sort of thinking about smell, right? That's that's where we were. Okay. Yeah. yeah something so, like um, his his particular. Uh, yeah, his particular uh, talking style of talking. Um, pardon me. So, what about Bilbo himself? How does how does Bilbo sort of um, strike strike you as a character? He strikes me as as po- possibly the most interesting character in any of the um, in any of the Middle Earth. Um, huh. Stuff that I've right, read. Okay. Yeah. Um, again, uh, I'm coming I'm in with the hot take. Like that much, um, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the the sort of asterisk and the and the, and the caveat that has to mm. that has to be put to to this and everything else that I've been saying is that um, um, I, I'm speaking in sort of purely mm-hmm. literary terms. Not not just in terms of of who oh, yeah, I have yeah, sympathies yeah. for, or who yeah. I like, or who have um, who have really moved me, you know, the most. Um, I, I thought the the ending of the the Children of Huron was um, was yeah, quite moving, yeah, yeah. actually, and, and quite <laughs> yeah. tragic. But um, yeah, it, it needn't need <laughs> be said. But um, in in terms of in terms of literary mm-hmm. prowess, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, the one that I have the most appreciation for, at least right now, is 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 Bilbo and the Hobbit. Um, right, I want to because he he seems to he seems to um, uh, token. I mean, he he seems to 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 fit in a sort of fairly um, a fairly traditional buildings roman or buildings roman. I don't know how you say it. Um, um within within a sort of epic quest mm-hmm. again without without really w- while sort of hitting all the main points of of all of the other mm. um stuff that he wrote uh, he still sort of hits on hits along many of the same points um and yet bilbo's quest seems to be a a much more distilled um version of of frodo's and yeah. uh, more than anyone else Except for Frodo, um, his quest seems to be one where he really yeah, changes. Yeah. Um, he's not, and in fact, in the Hobbit, a, a point is made of this, where, which I don't think is is necessarily made in the Lord of the Rings. Which, um, again, you, you can correct me on this because you're in the <laughs> middle of reading it. So, um, you know, in in the Hobbit, I think a, a point is made that that um, Bilbo actually grows up, whereas the 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 dwarves do not 
well, you know, um, and and th- there's a sort of um, striation where where Gandalf seems to be having the the long view from yeah. f- from the get go. He he always knows, and and the dwarves seems to yeah. s- seem to have a a sort of ground level view from from the get go that they don't mm. really ever give up. Um, and then and then Bilbo's here in the middle where um, in the beginning he just wants to have his you know quiet life and he's quite annoyed that they don't help him with the dishes and yeah. um and and you know throughout the novel he he really grows up and and he has this this um coming into his own and and by the end um he's he is there um you know essentially saving the world from 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 Thor and Oak and Shield. yeah perhaps um, I, mean, I wouldn't i wouldn't say that, and, that the stakes are quite so high here <laughs> in the hobbit as they are in lord of the rings but yeah sure fair enough fair enough uh, maybe i'm maybe i'm just yeah. exaggerating the the you know what would happen if 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 I get um, what you mean. Yeah. uh thorn got the ark of stone but yeah but but um he at least in, in terms of the the sure. the, the yeah, novel yeah. um you know, Bilbo is really the the, the only thing um, yeah. standing between um, Thorin and the, and the sort of the the end of the the novel sure. in a sort of yeah. unsavory way, um, and and I don't I don't really think that that um, in in the Lord of the Rings like maybe Frodo is that character, but but he doesn't quite have the same kind of transformation, and think, and he doesn't really, yeah. you know, he doesn't he wouldn't he wouldn't really be. I don't know. He, he, there are more influences on on Frodo mm. than than there are on Bilbo um, to to keep him on the on the sort of straight yeah, and narrow. I think Frodo's an and um, I, I don't know. Sorry. I, yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, I think Frodo's a different character to Bilbo um, in several respects. First of all, I think when we meet him in the Lord of the Rings, he's far less childlike at the start than Bilbo is. I think um, at least that's my reading. I think. Bilbo has certain naive qualities that, and, and comic qualities, right? That Frodo just doesn't. Again, it comes back to this, this, this sort of comic, um, almost. Uh, it's not quite slapstick, although there is a bit of that <laughs> quality that you mentioned. Um, <laughs> and then Bilbo, you know, ha- has some of that. He's sort of fussy, and you know, he's sort of, um, you know, he's a bit. Uh, to use a <laughs> to use a word queer in in, a, in a, you know not, not necessarily like a sexual way but I mean like you know he's, he's just a bit you know he's a bit different um, from even from the other hobbits and and um, you know I think Frodo is is more um, uh, well he, you know he's certainly more serious takes himself a little bit more seriously I think. Um, he seems like a sort of, he seems at the start of the novel and not talking about the film here, but at the start of the novel, he seems already to be a little bit um, world weary. <laughs> you know, although he hasn't quite traveled as yeah. far as Bilbo has, he's certainly met elves and, you know, he's, he's traveled with Bilbo at least around the Shire. And, and, you know, one gets the impression that Frodo is already sort of a little bit sick of it all. <laughs> and, um, you know, he doesn't really go on this quest he, you know, he, he sort of expresses a desire to see Rivendell and, and, and whatnot, but he's not really, it's really Sam who has that sort of, um, oh, I want to see the elves. I, that, that says that he wants to, to see things. So, you know, there's a bit, that, yeah, Frodo's a, a bit different there, I think. And his, his growth is sort of intimate, from maturity into sort of, you know, he's already mature when you meet him, but then he grows into sort of, um, I don't know. By the end of the novel, he's sort of 
he, he becomes this sort of um, uh, broken figure almost to an extent in a way that Bilbo de- definitely does not, um, you know. Yeah. Um, and never does. I mean, even in The Lord of the Rings, Bilbo has a sort of naivety, which is what the other characters love about him, I think. Yeah. And to the extent that, um, and to the extent that that Frodo gets through his travails, it's because of Sam's um, Bilbo-esque na- naivety. But also, yeah, to an extent. But that, also, that, also due to Gollum. Is that fair? <laughs> it, it's yeah, true. I, I think the the story true. in the Lord of the Rings is 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 yeah. Perhaps you, you know you noted before that it doesn't have that comic element, but perhaps I would say that it would it would feel out of place in the. Because really, the Gollum Sam Frodo story is about trauma. I think in the end, um, whereas I don't feel like this really is about trauma. This is about I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you would think of that. I mean, well, obviously, we'll we'll have to read Lord of the Rings and you know see what you think once we've got there. But um, yeah, but um, yeah. But but from my previous readings of it and and my current reading of the Hobbit, I, I would I would agree that. Um, yeah, I mean, this really—it's not even that it it uses a different tone yeah. for the same kind of material. It's just a different—it's yes, just a different yeah, material exactly. yeah, altogether. Yeah. And, having said that, I, I definitely take the point. Um, like, yeah, Spilbo is definitely a, um, a, a, a a writerly character in that sense that you describe. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's a great yeah, and, and he has a funny. He has a sort of a funny, uh, a funny personality, obviously. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Obviously, it's long been remarked, I guess, that Bilbo has has these sides to his character that you know the adventurous side and the the, the stay at home kind of fussy side, as I mentioned before, the took and the baggins side, um, <laughs> as it were. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think you're, you know your your note about the Bildungsroman kind of um, character of the book is 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 very perceptive, and uh, yeah, somehow that's managed. You know, he manages to weave that in there amongst this very, uh, very, I don't know, sort of um, how's the way to describe it? The, the plot, like it, it's very sort of episodic, I guess. Yeah, but that's really true. Yeah. And and he manages to make it make it quite a quite a point in that in that again like i said it's it's not it's not just um it's not just that um it's not merely that 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 bilbo has to rise no. to the occasion it's, it's not like there's there's an occasion to be risen to and, and bilbo is <laughs> yeah. is um is subpar to it and he has to rise to it it's that um when the occasion comes the people who have been sort of deriding him throughout the novel um, are not there to rise yeah, to the occasion. Yeah. And, and he is there yeah. to rise to it. Um, so there's that added yeah, element. That's right. yeah. No, that's true. I mean, yeah, and that, I guess that could bring us more to the, the dwarves again. I mean, as characters there, they're at once sort of, as I've mentioned, like a part of that heroic world that Bilbo is sort of introduced to but at the same time, they're also kind of bubbling fools. And um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know mm. how you took the dwarves in there, apart from Thorin, perhaps. But 
I think Thorn worst of all. So yeah, yeah. I I I took them as I, I I again I might be I might be um accused of of reading this book with a uh, a heavy hammer but um um I I kind of read it as as the 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 dwarves um not really lacking uh, sorry not not really um having any um any sort of self-reflective well, I think that's irony. what makes them heroic right or understanding <laughs> Because what is a hero? What is a hero? Perhaps, um, and, and I think in in this in this yeah. novel, I think it's also what makes mm, them tragic. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, so um, my my reading of it of it very much was a, as a as a sort of defense of the modern, um, as a, as a defense of irony, oh, as, as a defense of um, <laughs> as a sort of um, self reflexive yeah, yeah. comedy. But, but you know, I mean. That, that may be that may be too literary of a reading of it. No, I mean, why, I don't why know. Not, what do you think? Have, you know, why not suggest a literary reading of it? I mean, why not? Yeah, I mean, I think that's again, I think that's plausible. I mean, usually the Hobbit is read as well. You know, neither the modern nor say the the heroic. You know, if we want to think about it like that, comes on comes out on top. Both have sort of interesting facets, but or you know, facets that sort of look and learn from one another. But but you sort of think, well, really the really it's it's the modern that's being um, that is the Hobbit kind of with his modern values, you know, relating to, um, I don't know, to, to sort of honesty and justice and, and sort of fairness, you know, as opposed to sort of revenge and, you know, um, which, which seems to be what motivates the dwarves or at least Thorin. Um, you, exactly. you, you feel that that really comes on top in the novel. That's, that's where, it, that that's where it sort of sits at the end. To me, to me, it does, yeah. And 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 on top of that, I would pile that um, the this this the view of ethics that that I think um, that this kind mm-hmm. of view of the Hobbit um, encourages is, is my own what view of ethics, <laughs> and, and you know that's obviously yeah, just yeah. quite quite biased. But I said, what, what a coincidence! <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Yeah. But. Um, but I, um, you know, I actually I get the feeling that that the Hobbit dances with with consequentialist ethics in a way that nothing else that I've ever read by Tolkien does. Um, he doesn't really mess with with um, virtue yeah. ethics or with or with deontology. Um, yeah, um, so he he really in the Hobbit, I think um, Tolkien more than anywhere else that I know of, he he really jives with the principle that um, something is good or bad to the extent that um, the the, the see, result yeah. of your actions is actually good or bad. You know, so Bilbo, I mean, he's he's a he's a quintessential antihero, quite quite frankly. You know, he he's I mean, he, he's a burglar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his Drunk, yeah. that's his role. Um, you know, he um. You know, if you were being if you're being purely deontologist or or, or of a virtue ethicist, I, I guess I don't know about about virtue ethicism, but um, if you're being purely deontologist, I don't know if you would actually be able to justify a lot of what Bilbo does in terms of um, the way that he talks to yeah, to Gollum, yeah, yeah. say, um, and the fact that he, he say that you know at the end he he says you know what what have I got in my pockets, and he says you know. That wasn't technically a rhythm, uh, a, a riddle, but um, but but he, 
but he took it as such and, yeah, and you know, I'm going to run with it. You know, that, been, that's his kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and, and there's several moments like that. And, and I think um, the, the sort of the ethics that's in the air is, you know, um, you do what you got to do to do the thing that you know is right. And, and that yeah. seems to be um, quite a bit more consequentialist mm-hmm. than anything else that I've heard um, token yeah. do and the you know that I read usually he tends to be quite a bit quite a um deontologist or a virtue uh, uh, uh sorry a, a mm-hmm. virtue ethicist mm-hmm. well, yeah. um yeah. but I tend to drive a lot more with, with consequentialism so so you know I I see the way that Bilbo acts in this and I think you know I can yeah, and we talked last things. week or, you know whenever it was last last podcast <laughs> I was about to say last semester university is too too much too much in my mind um but um <laughs> we talked last, um, yeah, last podcast about, you know, about about Aragorn's character and perhaps how he embodies a virtue ethics kind of position. And and if you think about how Bilbo acts here, mm. and then how Aragorn acts, um, yeah, that that is an interesting contrast again, isn't it? But, uh, and then if you think about Turin, who's again kind of embodies that northern theory of courage, as I was sort of explaining, you know, but that that. Um, that that in a sense, ethical consequences don't really matter at all. What matters is that you face your fate with uh, dignity and heroism <laughs> um, in the in the face of sort of certain death, you know, whether it's now or whether it's later. Um, and here, yeah, I think that's interesting. We we have a character who's yeah, kind of an anti-hero in a sense. Um, certainly, again, I, I think we have a sort of a slightly different moral universe, as I've put it. Um, as I put in the last podcast, where the Lord of the Rings is perhaps the most orthodox, um, this is, you know, a little more, um, yeah, as, as you as you put it, consequentialist in its in its um, or utilitarian perhaps in its uh, in its approach. I don't know how you would how you would mm-hmm. what you would think of those sort of contrasts, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think that's you know it's it's quite interesting, and it, and it goes to to sort of what we talked about in our very first yeah. episode about how token is not so easily um, yeah, yeah. Uh, categorized yeah, as, as he sure. tends to be. You know, it seems like he he has a different opinion every time you read him. Almost, I think, really, I think um, in the Lord of the Rings, he really he tries really hard to to write and embody a kind of virtue ethical a kind of virtue ethics right in the in the in the in the whole framework right we have this we have this um this catastrophic existential threat uh which is Sauron regaining the ring and we have uh you know we have characters who are um who are good by virtue of their virtues basically (laughs) who are you know uh, who who oppose him, right? They they're good because, and of course that entails consequences, right? That it entails that. Well, why does Faramir not? I mean, this is where they the movies completely misunderstand the character of Faramir, for example. Why does Faramir in the Lord of the Rings not take the ring? Um, because he's a virtue ethicist. Because he already has certain beliefs about what's right, um, and therefore. Um, you know, is is not tempted, right? I mean, Galadriel is mm. is perhaps, funnily enough, a bit a bit less of a virtuous. She she, for example, is 
she's, she's, she's a bit more of a consequence. Yeah, she's like, well, you know, if this happens, Florian is going to, you know, fade into the. Well, it's going to. Well, it, unless she takes the ring, either Florian is going to be destroyed or it's going to like fade away and then you know, whatever. And um, that's a consequence, right? She, but but in the end, she sort of chooses the option because it's the right way, aka the more virtuous, perhaps. Um, and you know, you could say, well, of course, you know, consequentially, it's it's going to be the right option anyway, because in the end, um, you know, but, but you could make a consequentialist case, which Saruman does, for example, for taking the ring. Um, but so he, I, I don't know, I feel like in the ring, he really tries to instantiate that as a kind of moral, as a kind of ethical moral core of, of his sort of worldview. But I think, as you've notified, no, noticed, and you know, Pardon me, again, in the Silmarillion and other places, we, we don't have that kind of same attempt to really, I don't know, really solidify that particular moral view. We have, you know, and I think that's where this whole thing about, oh, in the Lord of the Rings there's only good and bad characters. I think that's what people are sort of thinking about, perhaps subconsciously or, you know, intuitively. That's what they're picking up on, this, this attempt to try and really um, make virtue ethics as opposed to like a, a consequentialist ethical frame, which is what most of us probably do adhere to nowadays. I, I think on some level, um, I don't know. Does that does that jive with you? I mean, that, that's that's my impression. Yeah, it does. It does. And and my my question to you right off the bat is: um, to what extent do you think Tolkien was trying to criticize consequentialism with The Hobbit? And, and do you think his um, yeah. like? Like to what extent do you think the Lord of the Rings is a, is a is a rebuke of himself? Like, do you think he sort of tried to almost steel man consequentialism with the Hobbit, and then and then tried to tear it apart <laughs> maybe, um, maybe. with the Lord yeah. of the Rings? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. What I'm you not think sure. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying Tolkien was thinking in such um, explicitly abstract philosophical terms, but um, as we are here, <laughs> and perhaps we should define some of these things because we keep we keep bringing them up, but. Um, but you know, I, I sure. think that you know, and maybe this is an area where it stems from his faith, and maybe in the writing of the Lord of the Rings, um, when he says in a letter somewhere it's a Catholic work, and more consciously so in the revision, maybe part of what that means is that he is um, really imbuing the work with this sort of, um, you know, if only intuitively, right, with with this uh, with this sense that ethics is really about virtues and. and uh, this almost Aristotelian dichotomies between virtues and, and vices, right? Which is really what what it what it does do, right? I mean, um, you know, Aragorn is virtuous because he has, as we've said before, right, particular kinds of um, beliefs about, um, uh, you know, the, 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 if you want to use this language, the kind of the, the main Stoic virtues, wisdom and blah 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 um temperance you know he's, he's very you know it's not to say that he's he's always knows exactly what to do but he's you know he, he he's willing to 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 wait um i don't think it's exactly as simple mm-hmm. as that because of course we do see as i've as i mentioned in the last podcast we do see we do see the sort of uh the heroic world poke it, poke itself through especially in, in characters like galadriel or the elves to an extent and even aragorn sometimes you know talks about vengeance and you know avenging gandalf these characters still have a foot in the heroic world but they seem to be very much more um at least at least some of these 
heroic characters, right? I think with Sam and Frodo, it's a little bit different, but um, and perhaps, yeah, we can talk about that another time. But but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if Tolkien was trying to, um, yeah, doing doing any of this sort of in order to um, to rebuke himself or not. But I just think there's something interesting going on there with his sort of thinking about ethics in in the three main like areas or whatever of his of his work, which is like the the uh, the Silmarillion. Well, you could even you could you know the, the Silmarillion stuff that. There's the Second Age stuff, and then there's the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. And in each of those spheres, there's kind of different characters are portrayed as ethical in, in different ways. I think, which you know, we've identified, and uh, which is fun. like as I said last time, I think too often Tolkien's work is all sort of shoved into the whole of the Lord of the Rings, and sometimes it's a you know, sometimes it's a it's a square. Um, a square philosophical theory, as it were, and the Lord of the Rings is a round hole. And <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I, I often think of like the the various token works of of embodying um the, the sort of the same universe but from the point of view yeah. of a different yeah, yeah. um yeah. place. Well, I think that's it, where the you know. fiction comes in again. Um yeah. because that's that's often quite important. Oh yeah, yeah. Could yeah, well, I mean, it's, obvious, it's, it's often quite explicit that obviously these some of these texts are written from particular perspectives, especially from uh, especially the Silmarillion uh, area, and he's he's doing metafictional stuff from right from the beginning um, of, his, of his work, so he's constantly thinking about this. Uh, and yeah, for those who want more on that, look at my Gergai Narge interview and the upcoming interview with Vladimir Berliak, by the way, because um, we talk all we talk about that, mm. but. Um, you know that 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 uh, you know, and, and, and this uh, person I'm, I'm, as I've mentioned at the start of the podcast, the person I'm sort of going to talk to in, in May, Dawn. Uh, she has written this this essay, as, as I said, about the historical bias in the Silmarillion. And um, uh, you know, once she lays it out, you can really see it. It's really obvious, you know. So um, I think it's it's certainly the case that Tolkien is aware of situatedness, I guess, of certain. Um, of these texts in in the kind of historical world that he's working with and developing, um, and that obviously means there are differences in perspective, and I think we see that more than people sort of think in these books. Yeah, well, so I would claim. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know why I just thought of this, but I, I just did. And I, I don't remember if I told the story before, but um, have I told you about um, about um, Kingsley Amos and his and his experience with, with Tolkien as his professor um, um, at Oxford? Me, but I've heard, I've heard that, I've, I've sort of heard something of, like that story, I think. Yeah. But please go, go on if, if you, yeah, oh, if you like. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell it, but... Um, Kingsley Amos, who's a wonderful um, British author um, of, uh, I think, most famously, Lucky Jim, um, um, and and he's the father of, yes. of Martin Amos, um, who, who who I just I just love, and um, yeah, I, I really do. But if you hate him, I, we have to talk about this afterwards. But yeah, yeah, there you go, yeah. But 
um Kingsley Amos, um, he he was a he was one of those few people who who was a famous hater. You know, there 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 are few people every every generation who who could really make <laughs> hating something really uh, really quiet quiet entertaining. Um, so you know, he he would look at a, look at a painting by Picasso and say, you know, why does anyone care about <laughs> Picasso? Um, and. Uh, <laughs> And um, and one of his professors was um, was Token, and um, and boy did he have just excrement to write um, about about Token because because apparently Token T- Token had a bad habit of mm-hmm. um, of um, writing something on his on his whiteboard and then um, turning around while speaking exactly what he just wrote on the whiteboard in his incommunicable tones while covering up what he actually wrote wrote down and then as you were falling asleep to his dulcet <laughs> tones of boringness um he would he would he would turn around and then erase yeah. what he just wrote so that you couldn't even copy it down <laughs> and then he would that write something new like again. That. So, that does sound like a frustrating um yeah, a frustrating thing. <laughs> yeah, I I figured you would appreciate it as someone who's who's like in academia, like you yeah, would really know, you know, what constitutes a bad, like really bad, like academic practices. Well, yeah, that does sound a little <laughs> neglectful. I must I must say, or negligent. Um, yeah, I, I try and I try and be clear in my classes. <laughs> I think I'm getting better, but yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm still bad at writing on like whiteboards or anything. We don't have blackboards at my university. We have, we have the whiteboards, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, yeah. So no, I'm, I'm trying to not to mumble. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't blame you. I mean, like like I've said before, my my girlfriend is a <laughs> yeah. teacher, and um, you know, every time that I see her do her job, especially in the last year, she's yeah. been teaching from home. I think, I think you know, I, I I could not be a teacher without purchasing a Kalashnikov. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. I mean, yeah, just cancel me right here. I find they're, they're not too bad. <laughs> and the ones I have this semester. Yeah, yeah. yeah very, very engaged, which is nice. But, that's good. Um, yeah, no, that that is an anecdote I'd, I'd heard before. Um, so yeah, no, that that is, you know, not entirely unbelievable. <laughs> no, no, not not quite, not quite. But but anyway, um, should we go back to the to yes, the actual yes, you know sure, meat yeah. and potatoes <laughs> of the the podcast? Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. What what have we really missed out on here? I think you've made a good case. For um, me. For the quality of the Hobbit in this podcast, and it's you know it should not only is it a great introduction to the world, but you know it's some it's a it's a you know it's a part of that world that Tolkien's writing that uh, you know should be revisited, I think, as well, and certainly should not be dismissed as um, a mere children's book, you know, um, something like that. Uh, if if indeed, oh, I'm so I'm so glad. That... <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm struggling. That I'm not sure I agree with you that it's it's like his magnum opus, but uh, <laughs> well, we'll have to reread Lord of the Rings, and um, yeah, yeah, 
You know, I'm not. I'm not actually sure that that I agree with that myself. I I just like to say things to sort of put things on the table yeah. and see how they fly. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Um, it's it's, it's kind of like like riffing wow. on something in jazz. Like you know, you you put a solo out there, and you're not you're not necessarily saying this is how it goes, but you're kind of just saying, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to say this, and then we'll see if we'll see we'll see what the yeah. what the riff goes like, and then and then we'll so, we'll we'll see how this how this ends up. You know, by the end of it. <laughs> No, yeah. Look, I think The Hobbit is, is fairly well beloved, and I'm sure there are others who would really have that opinion and probably do. Um, and I think it's defensible. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. A, yeah, I don't think it's completely out there um, or anything like that. So, do you want to talk about the um, um, the political complexity which you have here? Um, in, well, in I guess notes. I guess all I meant by that was. Uh, you know, in those or do you want to save it for, for another yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, we, we can perhaps come back to the... Perhaps we'll do another episode at some stage on The Hobbit again. I mean, we certainly will. And perhaps we can talk more about some of... Um, I mean, this was a fairly high, um, you know, high-level view um, of, of, the, of The Hobbit. So perhaps we'll, we'll come back and talk about some of the, you know, events and, and things. But I guess I just meant by that that, um, mm. that it, it, it attains a kind of... Um, sense of political realism, I think, at the end with the um, uh, with, with the sort of the battle over the gold uh, and the, the sort of very Machiavellian kind of uh, uh, sensibility, I think, that, or at least I yeah picked up. Um, so I, I don't know in, the, in those last four chapters, um, I don't know what you would think of that, but uh, or how you would take that, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would agree. I think um, um, he's, he certainly seems to um, he he, cer- he certainly seems to 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 criticize um, anything resembling the sort of like Ayn Randian, um, like sort of like radical. Um, like self, oh, I, uh, I, I forget what the what the term is called, but like the the, the self exceptionalism yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever, oh, like the, yeah. the, the definitely yeah, um, <laughs> no, no, yeah, um, it, I, I mean it's 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 arguable that he's that he's even he's even making a sort of case for a socialist, mm. um, a socialist world, you know? Yeah, I mean I don't know to um, what extent. Tolkien was influenced by distributism, that sort of Catholic idea, uh, sort of Catholic social justice notion. But um, what what well, is that exactly? Uh, I've never. Heard I, of I don't know exactly. Obviously, I'm not a Catholic, so. I, but you know, it, it's sort of a. Um, okay, I'm going to look it up. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, economic theory, asserting that the world's productive assets. Uh, should be widely owned rather than concentrated. So yeah, it basically comes out of um, Catholic social teaching, blah blah blah. So so it, it's it's sort of a middle position between uh, full socialism or communism and laissez-faire capitalism. But it seems it's particularly associated with late nineteenth-century um, Catholicism, Catholic thought. Um, which is interesting. So, you know, there's not exactly 
there's definitely like a precedent Tolkien's own lifetime for um, for perhaps a, a more distributist idea um, or view of, of things um, than we would be used to today um, in, in especially conservative Catholic thought, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's another knock against the people who, who sort of think of him as a sort of um, uh, a, a sort of Catholic <laughs> paragon, and, yeah. and, and maybe a, a, a large part of the people who who, who view him as a sort of reactionary <laughs> god nowadays, yeah. you know, which, which I sometimes happen to see on Twitter. But, yeah, yeah um, I don't think he was. Yeah, you know, I, I, reaction really for his time. Yeah. No, no, I, he really wasn't, as far as I know. But, but I, I think people, um, people co-opt his his views to, you know, to meet oh, to meet their true. own, and um, no, absolutely. And I know, I know, C.S. Lewis really respected. Yeah, him, well, they right? were friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that true? Yeah, um, I think Lewis yeah. is more of a reactionary and, than Tolkien is. Although you know both figures are complicated and then complex, um, not not really reducible to sort of the political dichotomies that currently beset well your country more than anyone else, but but also here here as well to an extent. <laughs> yeah, um, perhaps every country in the Western world. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really what I was I was I was going to say that that there that you know I think. I sometimes see people trying to to point to people like C.S. Lewis or J.R. Tolkien as a mm-hmm. as a um, a, a lantern yeah. for today's politics, and and I don't think it really maps no, maps no. on. Um, I think you know they they may have had reactionary elements to their own yeah. politics, but I think to you know in terms of in terms of what they would have believed it's today, to, um, to yeah. <laughs> to be it's it's really hard to map it on, which is why I don't even no, bother. I don't no, even bother no. doing this kind of stuff with. But I think Tolkien, yeah. I mean, comes across to um, me at any least as a fairly um, had some sort of instinct for justice in a general sense. Um, exactly. Even if that wouldn't always exactly. manifest in a way that yeah. um, someone might agree with today, perhaps. I mean, but who knows? You know, we don't know. <laughs> Obviously, we can't know. So. Fruitless, fruitless exercise. <laughs> <Makes> <laughs> well, I, I I often think of 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 mm. what Token writes and 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 people like C.S. Lewis as, as an example of um of what I think of as sort of like capitalism mm. 2.0, um, which I know is not my coinage, but I don't actually know who di- who did coin it. Um, but j- just the idea that that sort of like the the the, the new capitalism is going to have to is going to have to have a a lot of socialism, yeah. you know, like the sort of yeah, Andrew yeah. Yang level. Yeah. Um, that, you I know, like that, yeah. um, we have to we have to embolden capitalism by giving everyone a universal yeah, yeah. basic income. So you know, we we have to have capitalism, but the only way we can have real capitalism is by letting people actually. Um, you know, spend spend, I mean, I spend I their money. Hell yeah, yeah, gang. But no, same here, same here. I, I, I was yang gang all the way. But um, but you know, all, all jokes aside, it really does seem to be like the 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 token esque yeah. attitude, which is which is that the 
you know, we can't be as naive as thinking that the future has to rely on um, completely optimizing for for wealth equilibrium mm-hmm. or um, complete freedom yeah. of the market. It, it has to it has to do with recognizing that they both have their values, and we have to we have to optimize sure. for one yeah. or the. We we have to optimize for yeah. both, and um, and the way to do that is to try to enable um, um, a free market by trying to enable wealth equilibrium. And um, you know, in, in some weird way, I actually kind of feel like the the Hobbit and um, the Lord of the Rings are, are kind mm-hmm. of on board with that. Um, I, I I don't want to be one of those people who thinks that like their their favorite authors are on board with their politics, <laughs> yeah. but but. Um, you know, he, he he does he does seem like he's he's hip to a kind of um, a kind of quasi socialism that I think has to be the only way forward. You know, he, he seems quite advanced. Yeah, in that perhaps way. perhaps so. And he may not have put it like that, but yeah, there, as I said, there's definitely a sentiment of sort of um, yeah, general sort of um, I don't want to say social justice that has the wrong connotations, but nowadays especially, but. Um, Hmm. Yeah, but there's definitely a sense that, um, pardon me, uh, that these books have a, a sort of obviously an undercurrent of, um, again, that, that sense of, um, I don't know how to put it, like a, that sense that wealth is um, is often something that will corrupt, I guess, um, you know, if especially if it's, if it's not um, distributed, you know, <laughs> but hence distributism. Uh, if it's if it's yeah. hoarded and, and you know, as Smaug does, yeah, it's. Well, if we're, if we're not too like far ahead of our time here, th- this might be a good time to talk about Dragon Sickness. Sure. Yeah. What, what 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 did you feel like you wanted to say say about it? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you what, what, you, what you wanted to say about it because you, you well, brought it up earlier. Uh, yeah. Well, and I, was I guess ask we've, about we've it, sort but... of already touched on it. I mean, it's really just this notion. I mean, the films really exaggerate things. To, you know, they call it this thing. You know, it's like this psychological. But, I mean, in the book it's just talking about really that, that desire to hoard the gold, you know, that Thorin, um, again, sort of ironically, um, has by the, end of the, by the end of the novel because he um, – you know, he can't he can't bear the idea of sharing it around I mean you know um, so he becomes in that way like like a dragon um, like Smaug, you know um, so I mean it's really that idea to, to which it's referring I mean again the movies sort of turn it into this I don't know this psychological disease or something it's very bizarre <laughs> um, you know they're constantly talking about dragon sickness yeah <laughs> but I think the books mention it once or twice and it's just it's just a descriptor for this um, the hoarding of, of wealth um, that first Smaug and then uh, Thorin sort of engage in. So, yeah, I think it just it goes to a point that, um, yeah, the book is really um, not in favour, shall we say, of that, um, we might say, aristocratic um, kind of um, kind of behaviour. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I have two questions about that. One, um, would it not be fair to call um everyone who's involved in the in the sort of battle of the five armies or whatever yeah. um as having um dragon sickness and affliction maybe to an extent, that i mean fair? i think that what's interesting about again about that conflict is that um obviously each party has a claim of some kind um 
And uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, it's yeah, a sort of reparations, a claim if you will. On part of the um, the lake man, because part of the treasure in the mountain is is from Dale, right? It's from the the town there, and uh, of course, the elves. Yeah. Can't remember if, if the elves have much of a claim apart from greed. So, I mean, the elven king is kind of a bit painted as basically trying to take the wealth by force, <laughs> basically. I think they have a legit claim for it, but now, now that you mentioned it, I can't, I can't say for sure. Something else. Um, <laughs> but they frequently do that. But to say the least, well. But, yeah, so to, to differing degrees, I, I think perhaps that Bard is perhaps the least um, dragon sick <laughs> Of, of them all there, but but even there, um, you know, he's still willing to march with force uh, to the mountain, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. so I mean, Thorin does have a point. You know, it's like, well, you know, why should I divvy up these resources with you if you've come here by force? Uh, but you know, ultimately, ultimately, he's he's really at, at um, fault, or at least he's the most morally compromised. Let's say. Uh, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so fair enough. So, yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah, the dragon sickness idea really, you know, applies most to Thorin, I think, at least in my reading, yeah, and perhaps the Elven King to an extent as well. Yeah. But, um... And, um... And do you think that the dragon sickness applies to to anybody in in the Lord um, of the Rings? Like, is is it is it kind of an extension of the same thing? Like, the, like sort of hmm. ring envy, for lack of a better term, is that kind of the sense. same I mean, thing? I think or, the, Hobbit, the end of the Hobbit it really does have to do with like the, this wealth and gold, and that that's really the the core of it. I mean. There's something a bit broader going on in Lord of the Rings with regards to the ring. Um, I mean, it certainly may bring riches mm-hmm. to you, but it also brings more intangible things like power and the ability to control and all of that. So I think I think the Lord of the Rings is, has a, a different kind of um, setup in that that way. The ring is not quite analogous to riches or wealth, although you know it's not entirely disanalogous. But um, I think it's representative symbolic of other things that people desire i mean certainly it's, it's symbolic of desire and yeah um the power to fulfill you know certain desires um mm-hmm. so yeah there, there is there is a kind of thematic through line there i would say yeah fair enough i i was just wondering if you if you thought mm. it was kind of the same the same thruster if it was a different thing entirely. Mm. I, I was just curious because to, to me, I see similarities, but it's not a home yeah, run no, that is the same thing. It's, so I was uh, just kind of wondering. You know, it's uh, yeah. close, but no cigar, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, no, I think that's right. I think, yeah, I think we're of the same mind on that. But um, <clears throat> yeah, the ring is a complex kind of symbol, I think works in several several levels <laughs> several layers like a like a like an ochre um and yeah it's something that we can talk about when we come to lord of the rings hopefully <laughs> yeah indeed so indeed should we just finish off by talking briefly about the movies i mean we can just say they're all bad 
Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about three fourths into a bottle of wine. Uh, so I think uh, it's the perfect time to talk about the movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah um, no, the movies. Yeah. They're bad. Um, I think that's about all we need to say. Um, I don't know. What, did you have anything? That's did all you can say else to, to say about them <laughs> in particular, or I mean, I have to say that th- I thought they were they were yeah, treacherous, yeah. and and that they they were they were they were not, not merely bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, okay. Not merely bad. I, I thought the the Lord of the Rings the 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 Lord of the Rings films could have been classified as bad, could have been classified as as decent but unimpressive or whatever. But the the Hobbit films. You know, they they were not they were not merely bad, but they were they were truly yeah. offensive. <laughs> they they were they were truly um, degrading of the spirit, mm. and uh, and I think they actually really yeah, did yeah. harm to to this thing because because it's not it's not merely that they were bad adaptations, which I think the Lord of the Rings mm. movies were. They were bad adaptations of the novels, but I don't think they okay. were bad yeah. movies. Uh, you know, if if you did not know anything about the Lord of the Rings novels and you just watched yeah. Lord of the Rings movies, you probably like the movies pretty yeah. well, and that's great because um, that's going to let people. Um, that, that's gonna that's gonna leave uh, room yeah. for people to go and yeah, um, yeah. and read the novels. You know, the the Hobbit, on the other hand, um, that was horrendous. <laughs> I I hadn't talked yeah. to a single person who. Who um like in fact I've talked to I've talked to several people who 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 know nothing about the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings, um, in terms of uh the the the, the literature, and they've seen the the movies and and they are turned off it for yeah, life. That's, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> because because of, of what they saw on screen, it was so bad. It was so bad, and they didn't need All to right. make it so. Um, I understand that that it had to be um, that that they that they for some reason made the like the studios made the films um, you know become yeah. three films rather than one. But but you know if you if you look at the Lord of the Rings, you know what, one thing that I will say is that it is ultimately a masterclass um, in how to turn a an, an extremely long text True. into a movie. Um, even if it's not, even if it's not done in exactly the way that I would have liked yeah. it to be done in, it is still a masterclass in how to transform a text that is quite frankly too long to be made into a trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Into a trilogy, it's it's a good trilogy. Um, whereas with The Hobbit, you know, you, you notice that you have the exact opposite effect, where it's quite a short novel. It's a it's yeah, quite a short yeah. story. Um, it's it's. It's quite frankly barely a novel. It's like a long novella, um, and then yet you have these people who who want to turn it to turn it into a a trilogy mm. because of the studios, and it's it's it should be offensive to anyone who cares about storytelling, and um, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it is just no good rant. <laughs> it is just it's it it should be. If, if anyone cares about the structure yeah, of storytelling, yeah, it should no, be absolutely. hateful to them. I mean, you know, all I would say about it is that, um, you know, I think there were, you know, a couple of choices that, you know, that, 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 that seem promising, like the, the Martin Freeman as Bilbo. Um, 
But um, yeah, I, I think everything from the effects to the set design to every, you know, even to an extent, the music was a letdown comparing in comparison to the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, and even there, you know, there were things that I sort of find fault with. Um, not that it matters what I find fault with, but you know what I mean. Um, so, you know, I think I think the, there was far too much focus on the the dwarves as these sort of heroic characters. I think turning Thorin into Aragorn or perhaps Boromir more specifically was not a great idea. I think I think mm. it completely lost that comic irony that you're talking about. And I think that's why it failed mostly. I mean, I think it just did not have that. Um, I think it should have. I think it would have worked much more effectively had it maintained that, uh, you know, that tone. And would it have been different to Lord of the Rings? Yes. But would audience have liked it? Well, yeah, probably. I mean, they like the book. I mean, if, if you had the same, you know, it's not like audi- audiences aren't clamoring for the, the Hobbit to be rewritten in the style of the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien tried to do that and then was dissuaded because it didn't work. So, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think that uh, what you said before, you know, about, about its, its tone and its sort of linguistic playfulness and, and things, um, you know, I think had that really been translated onto screen and had Bilbo maintained the sort of central focus, I think, you know, it would have been much, much superior as a film. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a real classic case of someone not knowing what they nailed yeah, in yeah, something, exactly. you know? And I think I said, yeah. he, he, I think he I said really, last time that yeah. I don't feel like they really read the text very, like talking about a lot of the rings films. I, I don't <laughs> think they really read the text with like, they read it obviously in a detailed way, but I don't think they read it, uh, quite understanding or grasping grasping it um and i think that comes through in the lord of the rings but it comes through even more in the hobbit i mean yeah oh for sure in a sort of glaring way (laughs) um yeah and and it really is just it just is is maddening (laughs) at a certain point i mean I, i mean i I mean, look, like one thing I had to point to is, is that like, you know, for the, the Lord of the Rings, like all flaws aside, um, the battle scenes looked fucking mm-hmm. awesome, you know, cause they, they used like a hundred percent real people, right? Well, they certainly, like, certainly were shots with lots of uh, digital extras for the wide shots, but yes, they were, yeah, they weren't sort of, they weren't CG characters like right in the, the foreground sort of thing yeah for the most part yeah. yeah but with the hobbit it seemed like it seemed like i was oh, watching yeah, a video yeah. game yeah for yeah. about half yeah. of it yeah I agree. and then and then and then the 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 need that like i don't know why they felt the need to add so much yeah. fluff and the fluff had nothing to do with yeah. with tokens um legendarium like it was sort of like yeah, half-baked yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't real. It wasn't. It had nothing to do with the with the real thing. And the, the the thing that just you know personally pissed me off was was their treatment of Radagast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The brown. That was very strange. <laughs> you know, if if I may just sort of uh, like I, I don't want I don't want to turn this podcast, which you know I know you have like legit scholars yeah. on here, so I'm no, sorry no, that no. I'm just here like talk, talking shit no, about the Hollywood movies, yeah, but but. <laughs> um, 
but like to to have like Radagast the Brown on your on your movie and and you know like I think in the in the first one or the second one, um, they they had a scene where where they where they they showed him like un, unable to fix like a fucking squirrel yeah. or something like that. You know, the, 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 there was like a woodland critter who was yeah. having a hard time, and Radagast couldn't couldn't actually yeah. like help it. And and you know, I want to be like, look, people. I mean, Radagast is the same class of demigod as yeah. Gandalf, <laughs> and you know, he's not he's not like he's not like a fucking stupid yeah, yeah, person. Yeah. He's just he's here. He's here. He's he's like a he's like a he's a he's a fucking demigod. <laughs> You know, can we can we give him some credit? Like, I think I think he could fix the squirrel's broken leg, and like be fine. I don't think we need to like treat him as as if he were this uh, like subpar being. I agree. It, you know? it was a strange. Um, um, it was a strange characterization. Very odd. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And that that was and that was like one of the that, the they like I remember they like opened with that yeah, because I yeah, remember yeah, being I remember in the theater too, yeah. and just just watching that and being like oh okay I guess I realized that this means that they are not going to care about yeah, yeah, anything yeah. because if they <laughs> let this go they mean it just means that they are yeah. not going to care about yeah yeah anything. No, I, I tend to tend to agree with that <laughs> um, yeah I mean. That's- Sorry, I just had, I, I know this is a place where like serious people can No, not at all. I think I think we can, <laughs> I think we can uh, you know allow ourselves to justifiably uh, riff on the on the horrible, hideous films, Hobbit movies. Um, yeah, so. sweet. Because they they were actually bad, right? Like I, I don't know if you'll actually agree agree with me on this, but my 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 opinion on the Lord of the Rings movies is that they were not great adaptations of the novels. But they're pretty good movies, and I, I would agree. happily watch yeah, them I agree with anytime. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the Hobbit movies, uh, I would rather pretend they don't exist, and no. I'm never going to watch them. And if I have to watch them, I'd rather guys the first, one, straight the first, the first half so, of the first one is really the only bit of the Hobbit movies. Pardon me, I find really a watchable at all. But even there, like I haven't gone back. I don't go back to watch it, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, for, for years. So. I haven't, I haven't seen them, so yeah, I don't know. Um, they're, they're pretty, pretty terrible. <laughs> I think is the takeaway from that. But, <laughs> but I think, I, th- I think it's a real testament to like like Peter Jackson not really knowing what he yeah, did. Yeah, that's well a great point. Yeah, yeah. in yeah. the Lord of the Rings yeah, movies, that's a great point. Um, or the studio or someone because <laughs> I, th- I think he. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, it, it just—it's an evidence of some sort of large disconnect um, that was already present during the Lord of the Rings movies, and it didn't—it didn't quite ruin the movies um, well, for the for the Lord the of the Rings. Funny thing is, know, it's, it's present God, also God in others, these adaptations, like um, the Lovely Bones. I don't know. That was a movie that came out in two thousand and ten, I think. Like Jackson, it was, ad- it was adapted from a novel oh, by what? I don't know who it was by, but you know, again, exactly the same sorts of issues. There was an overuse of CGI, sort of making literal or sort of really obvious that which is implicit in the book, or um, and, and then misunderstanding, hmm. you know, the, the point. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a pattern that we can fairly evidently see with his adaptations, and you know, I, th- I think that. 
going forward, you know, I, I wouldn't want to see Jackson do any more work on um, on Tolkien's material. I think. No, I mean, not that there's any sense that he will, but you know, even this, the fact that the the show, the Amazon show, is filming in New Zealand, I don't know. It just feels like I feel like they should have really tried to um, disconnect themselves from that, but. My hope is that that does not have some sort of continuity with the films. I think that would be a disaster if they tried to maintain this hard continuity with the the Jackson movies. Um, even if they sort of pretend yeah. to a little bit, like my hope is that as a, as the show progresses, it's like more and more obvious that it's not trying to do anything of the sort. Um, I think so too. I I think if the if the show is going to survive in in any sense and yeah. the visual medium it has to be yeah. like Sherlock well, Holmes, right. yeah. where, where where we agree that that um the the sort of most modern adaptation of it is not is not going to actually not sort of yeah. leave any um yeah it's, it's something that we have yeah. to like yeah, follow exactly. you know yeah um and i think that will happen i mean the show will help that to happen i, I hope so yeah yeah, yeah. I, I hope that's the, that's the biggest contribution of the show that it'll just and tear the whole thing apart. We and we can start from scratch again. About it, really. So I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to some news on that front. To be honest, um, because you know, I can't wait to see Numenor and Galadriel in her prime and the rest of them. So it should be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we've been talking two hours so we should probably wrap it up but uh, is there anything you want to finish with or um i think i'm good i, I think that that was yeah. that's pretty much it but you know if you have more we can always we can always bring it up again uh, the, the hobbit is pretty yeah, good exactly, screen, yeah. so yeah, we'll come back to it again and yeah. um it is obviously one of tolkien's major publications so we will we'll certainly come back to it perhaps in a another podcast we'll discuss um elements in in further depth um which, which it certainly uh, rewards. Um, so thanks again, Shreda, and, uh, yeah, we'll, um, oh, thank we'll, you. Uh, we'll chat next time. Yeah, and if anyone wants to, to hate crime <laughs> me for saying that Hobbit is awesome, that's, uh, that's at Shreks, <laughs> S-H-R-E-G-G-Z, baby. <laughs> yes, Hit me yes. up. Hit him up. Tell him why he's wrong. Um, but be nice. Be nice. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Peace.